Welcome to season two of the One and Done podcast, where we are dedicated to making young people successful in business early in life. We're recording today from the Rollo Insurance Studio in College Station, Texas. Let's get it started. All right, everybody, welcome back for the final episode of season two of the One and Done podcast. Before we start our today's podcast and I introduce you to AJ, I just want to tell everybody, thank you so much for sticking with us for the first two years of the podcast. Uh, whenever I originally started this podcast, I always told myself, hey, get through year two, and then year three, we will blow it up and really go after it if we decide to enter into a third season. I can tell you confidently today, we will be entering into a third season. And uh, after the the episode today with AJ, uh, where there's maybe a little bit of foreshadowing in his title, we will be getting into the season three uh, release of the theme for the season three. And uh, we'll introduce you to some really great guests. But before we do that, let me introduce you to AJ Smith. He's the founder and managing partner of Goldsmith Properties and the first guest of the One and Done podcast from the state of Iowa. Uh, AJ, man, welcome to the One and Done podcast. Jackson, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So uh, AJ, I saw he was on another podcast with one of my old college roommates, uh, got connected on LinkedIn, as we find most of our guests. And uh, he was kind enough to respond to the message. And I said, hey, man, let's 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 connect because I, I love your, your profile. It seems like you got a lot going on. Uh, little did I know he's actually the founder of Goldsmith Properties. So we've had quite a few uh, real estate and property investment people on the on the uh, podcast here at OAD, uh, but never anybody that was owner of one of those businesses. So AJ, we're super excited, man, to learn a little bit about you and Goldsmith Properties. So before we start today, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how'd you come up with the, the title Goldsmith Properties? Yeah, so my brother got me introduced to uh, real estate back in the day in college. It was about my sophomore year. And uh, I read a bunch of books, analyzed over 700 deals, and I realized, you know, if you're going to get it serious into the real estate business, you need to, to start an LLC. So I started spitballing names around, talked to my, uh, my godmom, my mom, uh, just to figure out what are the names that, you know, make sense. They're catchy. They're at the beginning of the alphabet so people can find it in a phone book. Um, so we came up with Goldsmith Properties. The rest is history from there. Since then, really got into the real estate business right after college. Uh, purchased my first four-unit apartment complex about a week or two weeks after I graduated. Uh, lived in that, fixed it up, cut my my housing expense down to zero just using the the rents from the tenants that were living in that four-unit apartment complex. That's awesome, man. I love that. And uh, you went to Iowa State, is that correct? I went to the University of Iowa, so go nah, on. I know. I was just messing with you. <laughs> oh, man. No, that's, that's awesome. So uh, let me ask you this. Did you go to any football games while you were in school there? So many. Yeah, I loved football. Uh, What's the environment like uh, out there? People are wild about the Hawkeyes because Iowa does not have a football team. So, you know, Illinois has got the Bears, Minnesota has got uh, the Vikings, but Iowa does not have a football team. So, you know, we go crazy over the Hawkeyes. If you're a Cyclone, I mean, whatever, sure. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, that 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 makes a lot of sense. And uh, y'all's offense is looking a lot better uh, already in 2023. So I don't know what happened, but uh, I like that, you know, a little bit better than what I saw in 2022. Y'all's defense is always stellar, which uh, A&M could have used some of last week against Miami. But uh, getting back to you and kind of the industry you're in, like I told you, you know, we've had some guests on who are in the the, the, the real estate investment business, um, never, never an owner of one of those uh, businesses before. So talk to me just for a minute about the basic concept, right? So our, our audience here, our college students, they're, they're really interested like you were in college about real estate investing. 
What exactly does that mean? You mentioned you analyze all these deals. What exactly goes into that? What is what does that terminology mean to just a common person? Yeah, so deal analysis, they also call it underwriting if you want to get really fancy and talk about commercial real estate. But essentially, it's just a breakdown of income versus expenses. And my favorite way to break it down is the four square method. It's been popularized by someone named Turner, who is on the Bigger Pockets podcast. He used to host that real estate investing podcast. And that's actually how I got um, introduced to real estate investing is through the Bigger Pockets podcast and all their books. So Brandon Turner talks about the four square method and it's, it's really pretty intuitive. In the upper left-hand corner, you've got your income, which is broken down between your rent and other income, which could be laundry, it could be utility bill backs to tenants. Then in your bottom left quadrant, that is your expenses quadrant, that includes your principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, your utilities expense, which would be your lawn care, snow removal, your heating, electric, gas, all those different things. You also have your reserves, which I like to bake in there as well. About 25% of the gross rents I take off the top and say these are dedicated solely to reserves and to property management. And I break that down into 7.5% of the gross rents that goes toward capital expenditures, which is uh, replacing a large item like a refrigerator, which fun fact, actually just yesterday, I had two go down uh, from you know inherited tenants, inherited refrigerators. So we just replaced those with nice new ones using our reserves, um, which is where that seven and a half comes in handy. Another seven and a half percent goes towards repairs and maintenance, which would be fixing toilets, you know, some of the other things that are kind of cause, not, not quite cosmetic, but you know, they're not full replacements of, um, of these large things. So that's another seven and a half percent brings us to 15 or 15%. Um, and then another 10% goes to, uh, your property management. Um, so that could be, you know, it could be anywhere from 8% to 10%, sometimes 11%, but, um, you know, just baking that in at the very beginning of your analysis is extremely important, especially when you're starting to learn real estate, because a lot of folks go after what I call phantom cash flow. And phantom cash flow is just the idea of, well, you know, I'm getting a thousand dollars in rent and um, my principal interest taxes and insurance are, you know, $500 a month. So I'm making 500 bucks a month from this property. And unfortunately, that's just not the reality. The reality is a lot of times those utilities are paid for by the landlord. You have expenses that pop up over the long term. You don't want to self-manage over the long term. So you have to take all those things into account when you're analyzing these properties. But going back to the four square method, the next quadrant that you've got, the next square is your upper right hand corner. And that's your cash on cash return. And uh, that's your cash flow. I mean, uh, bottom right is cash on cash return, but your upper right is your cash flow. That's just your income minus that expense column. And that's going to get your cash flow. And um, that could be a monthly figure. It could be a yearly figure. I typically target $100 per month per unit as my cash flow return for any properties that I purchase. So for example, if I were to buy a four unit apartment complex, which is what I specialize in brick four units in the Midwest, specifically in Iowa, I look for $400 per month per unit in cash flow after all these expenses are accounted for. So next, after that upper right hand quadrant, 
we go to the bottom right-hand quadrant, which is your cash on cash return. And cash on cash return really is just your cash flow annualized. So if it's a monthly number, multiply it by 12. Um, if you already have it annualized, great. But you take that annualized cash flow number and you divide it by your initial investment. So that includes your down payment, it includes your, cl your closing costs, and it includes any renovations that you do to the property that require capital as well. So you get a percentage off of that. And that percentage is going to be your metric that you use to compare to other investments. So for example, I target a 12% cash on cash return. So if I invest, you know, $1,000 into a property, I expect to get $120 back on that every year. And that goes up as rent goes up. And it goes, uh, your, your expenses will increase too, but hopefully you're buying in a place where rent growth is greater than your expense growth. But year one, cash on cash return, my target is 12%. And so I try to purchase properties that are cash flowing $100 per month per unit. And I also evaluate them by that 12% cash on cash return metric. So long-winded answer, <laughs> but that's how I break down, um, especially small multifamily properties the analysis for those in my business i'm going more toward the large multifamily properties which are you know 50 units 100 units four million dollars two million dollars kind of the larger price tag and more economies of scale where you can see a lot more efficiency in your operations and you can bring on a greater team than just you and your property manager uh, but folks who have very specialized knowledge that can really add a lot of value to your team Absolutely. So AJ, one thing I want to pick up on is you, you mentioned, you know, in your, in your time there at Iowa, like in college, you, you decided, Hey, I want to get into real estate investing. What, what made it attractive to you? Because that's probably what makes it attractive to a lot of our listeners as well. Uh, and what did you do to go about trying to get your way into that industry? I know you said you bought your first, uh, your first apartment property whenever you were right out of college. Uh, so, you know, help some of our listeners do the same kind of, where did you start and what did that desire stem from? The biggest place to start is education. And that education can take the form of listening to podcasts, which are a great way to fill bedtime. We were talking earlier before we got on here, you know, three hour drives, two hour drives uh, to the hometown. You know, I, I would fill that time with as many podcasts as I can, because otherwise, you know, you're just listening, listening to music, you're doing things that you could fill that time with learning a new skill. So listening to podcasts i suggest the bigger pockets podcast it has a lot of great information that's a great way to get your your vocabulary to grow in terms of the real estate space reading books is another great way there's a lot of fantastic authors that can really expand your vocabulary expand your understanding of different concepts and different topics in the real estate space but I think the biggest thing is to start taking action. And when I say take action, that doesn't mean you have to make an offer immediately without any you know, idea of what you're doing. The, the biggest thing with taking action, especially when you're first starting, is analyzing deals. If you analyze a ton of deals, you'll start to understand what's really a deal and what's not really a deal based on those metrics that I, I mentioned before. And you'll start to really dig deep into the expenses you need to account for, the different scenarios that you should account for. For example, you know, in the current environment, a lot of people are getting um, hit with higher interest rates than they expected. And so that is changing your expense load on these properties that you had analyzed previously. So 
understanding and analysis and the underwriting for these properties is crucial and it doesn't cost you anything. You can look at properties on realtor.com. You can call brokers up and see if they have anything. But, you know, if I were to go back and be a college student again, that is exactly what I would do. I would, I would get educated and then I would start taking action on analysis so that when I reach the point where I have an income and I can get a loan for a property, if I wanted to do that, I would know exactly what a deal is. I would have my market dialed in where I want to buy something. And then I can take action by finding a broker, finding a property manager, finding an insurance person, uh, finding a, a lender and finding contractors in that location so that the deal that I find, I can take action on and I can secure and, and renovate and manage after I understand, you know, this is a deal and I get an accepted offer on it. Yeah, I love that. And uh, by the way, for all of your uh, insurance needs, you can go to the one and done studio sponsor, Rollo Insurance. I had to throw that that little shameless plug in there. But no, man, you're right. That's right. The, the information, the education uh, and getting yourself grounded into everything that you need to really start up. So speaking of startups, you're obviously the founder of Goldsmith's Properties. Talk to us just for a minute about what that's like to, to own a company, to run a company, and more specifically to run a company in the real estate investment space. You know, how do you make your money? Uh, kind of what does your day look like? And uh, how is it all working out for you? Yeah. Owning a company in the real estate space, the biggest thing in terms of income generation is going to be your rents. That's if you're holding a real estate holding company where you have these rental units that are bringing in monthly income you have to then optimize for ensuring those rents are collected every single month. And so in terms of my day, my week, every week I have a call with my team. So I've got a property manager that I work with and she just updates me on where we're at for each of the properties. So vacancy, you know, um, do we have any open empty units that we need to get filled what are our efforts on filling those how many showings have we had delinquency do we have anyone that hasn't paid rent yet are they late what kind of payment plans are we working on what are we doing to reduce delinquency work orders because with your with your tenants essentially being your clients or your customers you want to provide the best living experience you can for them so that they'll stay for the longest period of time because turnover is going to be one of your biggest expenses. And also you want to provide just a great space for folks. So as soon as someone makes a work order, I make sure during our weekly calls, you know, for example, the fridge that just went out uh, yesterday, immediately we hopped on it, ordered a new fridge. They should have a fridge by the end of the day today. Um, so just ensuring that you're providing great customer service and you're, you're replacing those things that need replaced and fixing those things that need fixed um is is a huge part of your your day in terms of you know kind of a smaller real estate investor in terms of growing in the space you know then you have people on your team your your team continues to grow uh, as my company will grow my team will continue to grow so not just a property manager but an asset manager that then takes over that role of overseeing the property manager, having those weekly calls, not just me talking to subcontractors and getting work scheduled, but having someone who that is their entire job is working on renovations, fixing up properties, getting things nice and new for tenants. So in terms of um, how do you make money? 
you get rent from tenants. If you want to make active income, you can flip houses. And then in terms of how your week is spent, I would say it's growing your team, uh, making your team better, checking in with your team, and then continuing to search for more deals and more capital to, to take down more deals. You know, man, uh, that 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 is awesome. I appreciate you sharing all of that. I know that real estate and especially the investment part of real estate is becoming very, very popular uh, right now, especially over the last uh, couple of years, everything we've seen with COVID and the real estate market. Uh, and so I know that you're out there killing it uh, in the Midwest. Um, and I love the fact you have that specialization, right? And those, and those four plexes and those, those brick four plexes. And it's like, that's your thing. You know about it. Uh, and again, it goes back to that education. You can be very, very successful if you actually know something and understand it. Uh, beyond what most people are willing to do. Speaking of beyond what most people are willing to do, let's talk a little bit about AJ Smith, the person, man. What makes you want to go out and start your own, you know, real estate investment company, be your, be a founder, uh, start up your own company? I think I have a little bit of insight into it from a couple of our conversations, but what I really want to start out with is this question. Obviously, you, you've done things a little bit different than other people. This is your full-time job. This is where your focus is. This is where your passion is. Uh, you've dedicated yourself to connecting and learning and education. And my first question to you is, why? What motivates you to go out every day and to try to be the best real estate property investment uh, company that you can be? What 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 is it that motivates AJ? Yeah, so there's there's a certain appeal about working for yourself and building something of your own. And I've just always really enjoyed the challenge of trying to overcome the different obstacles of problem solving inside of owning your own business. And I think, especially for the real estate side of things, you know, there's so many statistics about all the different people who have made a lot of great financial decisions, just generated a ton of wealth through real estate. And so I figured in terms of, you know, what is the most efficient path to that place where I can do the most good, where I can grow a, a, a very large company and, you know, be able to spend more time with my family. Real estate is a space to do that. You can create passive income through owning more of these real estate investments and then growing your team for them to manage it for you. You can also create that opportunity for other people. And the more opportunity that you create for other people, either through your your team of property managers, your contractors, your investors that are investing with you, the more that you can add value to other people in the space with you, the more your company can grow. And I, I've just found it a great personal challenge to grow you know, personally, professionally within the space, connecting with other people, seeing how I can add value, seeing how I can grow myself as a business owner. I think all of that and having the opportunity to do those things is just so incredibly rewarding. To be honest with you, it's, uh, I would say it's much easier for me personally to do that owning my own business than it is trying to work for someone else and, and do those things because there's just a different level of motivation when you are in control of the ship. I love that. I love that. So let's talk a little bit more about you as a person. I will say this as we kind of bring season two to a close, I, I send all my guest questionnaires. I send questionnaires so I can get to know a little bit more about you. So that way, whenever 
you know, we're, we're producing these podcasts. We can hopefully make you look good, give you some piece of content that you can go out and market yourself with. Uh, all, all of my guests know that we had that conversation kind of in our intro call. But part of that process and one of the questions is, do you hate to lose or do you love to win? And I don't always ask every single one of my guests that question because it depends on kind of how they answered in the questionnaire. But uh, I loved your answer. So I'm going to ask you and then I want to talk about it for just a minute between the two of us. Do you hate to lose or do you love to win and why? I hate to lose. And I hate to lose. Uh, it's it, That's been the case since I was in, you know, middle school. I remember going back to middle school. Uh, I, I used to play football and we made it to, you know, the playoff game and we were so close, but we just didn't, we didn't make it right. We, I think we lost by like a touchdown. And so uh, since then, ever since I was a kid, I've, I've tried to control for that worst case scenario. How do I prepare in the off season so that when the big event happens, when the big game happens, I'm prepared and, uh, you know, we can ensure that we have the best outcome possible. And I think that's incredibly important, especially these days for real estate investors. You see a lot of folks who, um, you know, they were heavily dependent upon bridge rate, uh, bridge loan debt, uh, floating rate variable debt, which essentially means, you know, they took out a loan that's short term and now they have to refinance when rates are about double what they were. And so I think taking that conservative approach where you're looking for that long-term fixed rate debt um, and, and, you know, just overall, that overall conservative approach to real estate investing is the best way to approach, approach the game. It's kind of uh, get rich slowly, but for sure, instead of the, you know, take a lot of aggressive action, uh, aggressive risks to, you know, reach a, a, a conclusion much faster. And so I think, especially when you're working with other people's money, when you're working with other people, it's incredibly important to hate to lose um, because you want to control for, you know, investors do not like to lose money, right? That's the worst case scenario. So at the very least, you need to return the capital that they gave you. Um, of course, the best case scenario is you're doubling it, you're tripling it, right? But you want to make sure your downsides are protected so that the people who entrust you, who trust you with their funds, you're treating it correctly and you're treating it with the, the respect it deserves. You know, I, I'm with you 100% on that. I, I hate to lose as well. Funny to see different answers on that. Some people absolutely love to win. Uh, I, I'm not one of those people. I, I'm more motivated by the, the fear of failure, I think, than anything. You know, that's kind of how I've been my whole life. I, I'm with you on that. You know, high school sports had a pretty good basketball team. Uh, but man, we, we, we got second in more tournaments and state championships and regional championships and all this stuff, uh, than we got first. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think I have any of those like medals or trophies or anything like that. Cause I just hate to lose so much. I hated having it. You know what I mean? Every time yeah. I look at it, it says, Hey, you didn't win. Uh, and that's how I am too. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm very, very competitive and I think competitiveness is something that throughout all of these OAD podcasts I've had with founders, with just, you know, fantastic white collar individuals, you know, these professionals, it's been a theme for those who are young and successful is competitive nature uh, and, and utilizing that for the overall good in your professional development because it teaches you things like education, discipline and, and control. All those things are combined in that word of, you know, being competitive. Uh, but you used a different word when you discussed what can make someone successful early. So as we bring season two to a close today, I want to end with that final question. In business, uh, what makes somebody successful early on uh, in any industry? What's like the one word that you would wrap that up into? Obsession. 
you have to be obsessed with whatever it is that you're going after. If you're not obsessed, there's so many other people out there that are, you know, they're just kind of middle of the road. They're not quite fully bought in. But if you're obsessed with something, you will rocket past what other people are doing because your focus is so intentional. Your, your, your laser beam of attention is directed at that singular object of that obsession. So the obsession I chose is real estate, again, because of all of the data that I saw about, you know, the folks that were able to uh, generate a lot of wealth for themselves and for other people through real estate. That's why I chose real estate. But for whatever, whatever your thing is, maybe it's, um, maybe it's kayaking or maybe it's, you know, jujitsu or maybe it's uh, insurance or maybe it's, you know, whatever it is, general contracting, whatever it is, being obsessed with that thing is the first step to being very good at it, uh, which is then the first step to adding a ton of value to other people through your expertise in that thing. The only way that you can do that, in my opinion, is if you are obsessed with that, with that subject, with that career, with that profession, whatever it is. Absolutely. I, I love that too. I, I think that's great. You know, obviously there, there's control in everything that we do. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you have to have some balance to life. And I loved your answer to that too, that, you know, you, you build, you build, you know, your, your work and your life are, 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 are one, you know, they kind of coincide because of the networking and the relationships that you're able to build like this, right? Like this is awesome getting to connect and getting to know other people in other states, thousands of miles away. Uh, in completely separate industries because you never know how we might be able to work together one day in business too, right? That's just how the world works. You work with people that you get to know that you like. And so I love that. But, you know, when you talked about obsession too, one of the things I, I think was you, you used a word like, you know, common ability to focus on something. Um, and, you know, we live in this world where everything is right here, right now, right? Every seven seconds, if you watch TV, the, the screen changes to something else, right? And it's just their way of captivating our mind is by quick repetitive uh, changes, like on the screen, for instance, in TV. Well, you know, in business, you can't have that. You have to be disciplined. You have to be willing to focus on something for a very long period of time and do it in a way that's very uncommon to most people. And so I think as we end season two, one of the best lessons that, that all of our students can, can learn is you have to be able to take initiative and be disciplined in your approach to whatever industry you want to get into. You know, I was joking with a kid the other day whenever I was presenting at A&M, and uh, he said he wanted to go to law school. And I said, what, what's your secondary plan? He's like, I, I don't really have one. I said, well, what if you what if you decide, you know what, I'm going to own a baby boutique because apparently those are popular, right? I got a two or 15 month old daughter. Uh, my wife can find baby boutiques like no other. Uh, and I, I started joking with him about it, right? 21 year old kid. And, you know, he's like, I don't really want to own a baby boutique. But I told him, I said, if you did, you just would need to learn about it. You need to learn about the different sizes you need to carry, the different clothing lines, the different brands that are out there. And you can make great money owning a baby boutique. Trust me, I've been in plenty of them. They're making good money. Anything you can do, you can be successful at. You just have to have that obsession, that desire, that initiative to go out and do what is different than most people. And that's the goal here at the One and Done Podcast, to teach students how to be different uh, so they can be successful early in life and so they can find their one and done career. Uh, that one and done career is right out of school into what they want to be doing forever. Uh, sort of like you, AJ, right? Uh, right out of school into in the property investment and man, we wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much for joining the One and Done podcast today. Thank you for taking your time out of your work day to do this, man. It's great meeting you, and I cannot wait to release the final episode of season two. Jackson, great to meet you, and thanks for the opportunity.
Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Be sure to rate our podcast and leave a review. Also, make sure to check us out on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook at One and Done Podcast.